You're listening to The Room Block Podcast, a series of conversations with compelling professionals from the world of events and hospitality. I'm your host, Jen Salerno. I've spent the last 20 years in different facets of the industry, working alongside a variety of people that have one common goal, to serve our customers by creating memorable experiences. Now, I want to share with you the passions, inspirations, and challenges of the individuals who make it happen. In each episode, we'll hear insight and perspective from two guests that fill some of the many roles within this incredible industry. Welcome to The Room Block and enjoy your stay. Greetings, Room Block podcast listeners. I hope everyone is doing great out there and gearing up for a quiet Thanksgiving, perhaps at home. Uh, It's hard to believe that we are actually here almost at Thanksgiving, and I realize that I will not be chatting with you guys next week, so I shall start by saying I hope everyone has a very happy Thanksgiving. I have to laugh when I did my last episode and I made a comment about how by by the time everyone was listening to it, you would have an idea of who won the presidential election. And here we are two weeks later, and somehow it's still up in the air. Although not really, but in some circles it may be, and that's okay. I still have faith that we're going to be moving forward in a positive way no matter what. Anyway, before we get started today, I just want to remind everybody that if you enjoy listening to the Room Block podcast, you know, my review section is like a little sad. I think there's only a couple reviews out there and it could use some love. So if anyone's feeling generous, I would absolutely appreciate and love if you were willing to just leave a few kind words over at Apple Podcasts. Um, It actually really plays a part in how people are able to find the show. And if they were to go and see that I have a lot of positive reviews, maybe they would say, hey, this is a show worth listening to. So if you feel that it is, then give me a shout out. I would really, really love it and appreciate it. So thank you very much. Um, You can also subscribe. That's, That's important too, either at Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Anyway, to get on to the topic of today's episode, I wanted to go back to my hotel roots and discuss a topic that I feel like you could really have a lot of conversations surrounding this topic and you could approach it in a few different ways. In fact, one of my guests has been on other podcasts talking about this topic and you know he's really capable of giving you some financial figures and estimates and and that kind of thing. And and we do dive into that a little bit. But on this show, in general, I try to stay a little more in the vein of people's experiences and and how they interact together and in an effort to give everybody a chance to walk in somebody else's shoes for the day. And so then maybe we'll enable you to do your own job a little bit better next time after you hear somebody else's perspective. But I'll cut to the chase. We are going to be talking about the topic of sales and revenue management, how these two departments work together, how these departments work with clients and customers, and overall, their importance to the hotel. We are also going to get into how sales and revenue management looks right now in our current environment and some things that we'll be thinking about as we move into the future. So we have with us today, Jeff Borman. He is the founder and chief of Travel Insights, and he has a long history of being in revenue management positions with Hilton and Marriott. So he knows what he's talking about. We also have with us Steve Pierce, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia. So I went over to the East Coast for this conversation to get some perspectives that will hopefully bring value to everybody listening to this. So let's hear from Jeff and Steve. Thanks so much. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Room Block Podcast. Today, we are covering a topic that I'm always interested in, just coming from the hotel world myself and coming from a position in sales in the past, and then also being on the kind of client side and trying to really understand the world of revenue management. So we have with us today 
Jeff Borman, who is the founder and chief of Travel Insights, and Steve Pierce, who is the director of sales and marketing from the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia. Hello. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. great to be here. Thanks. Well, so as I always want to start with with my guests is just to try to get a little background on both of you so we can know where you're coming from and and what your what your background is so we can continue on with the conversation and everyone knows what your story is. So how about Jeff, do you want to start and tell us how you got to be where you are today? Uh, sure, happy to start. Uh, I got into this industry uh, fairly early. I age 16, my first job was as a cook and I immediately loved the kitchen and restaurant culture. Uh, is it too early for a sidebar? The last time I did a podcast, a traveling podcast on a hip network, the first thing I did was I made the mistake of immediately throwing my mother under the bus. So I got off the call and my wife says, how would it go? I was like, I messed up really bad, right? Is there any way to be less endearing to an audience than to make fun of your mother at the start? So my mother is the coolest person on the planet and I'm not going to do that again. Uh, but I started in the kitchen uh, and, and there's, there's the mom's story was somewhere in there. Um, and I through think high I heard school, it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't very good. It wasn't my proudest moment. Uh, through uh, through high school and college, I lived abroad a few times. I was an exchange student my last year of high school, uh, living in France, and I studied in Luxembourg. Uh, and when it came time to actually get a job, I didn't have a plan. And uh, so I had lunch with my late uncle, uh, George Cook, and it was one of the most influential days of my life. And he didn't ask interview questions. He asked me what I loved doing. And what I dream about and why I liked working in restaurants. And he suggested, you want to go to culinary school? I said, no, I really want a business career. Uh, but more than anything, I want to live and travel around the world. And he suggested a career in hotels. And it was a perfect marriage. So uh, from there, I moved to Washington, D.C., spent the next three or four years in hotel operations at the Mayflower Hotel, one of D.C.'s great grand dame hotels. And from there, I really went into about a 20-year run at the time, what was an emerging new discipline called revenue management. Uh, and that's actually where Steve and I met. I started in January 2000, uh, one day after Y2K, because nobody at the hotel would let anyone go until they were sure the world hadn't ended. So <laughs> ja January 2, 2000, uh, Steve and I began sharing a cubicle wall at the J.B. Merritt in D.C. And... We learned to be inventory managers. At least one of us learned to be a good fantasy football manager. Uh, <laughs> and then we progressed the rest of the way. Uh, group strategy roles, market leadership roles, distribution roles, uh, a couple regional roles, etc. And then I went to Hilton. I was at Hilton for a few years. And uh, then last year, uh, before COVID, I joined the asset management team at Park, uh, large hospitality group. And now I'm with uh, founder and chief of Travel Insights, a company I started. We're an advisory for uh, mainly for investors, but also executives in the hospitality industry. We produce a significant amount of research and white papers. Uh, but then we really do the bulk of our work is behind the scenes uh, through consultations and uh, helping non-hoteliers figure out how to get in and out of the industry with these. Excellent. Well, thank you. So... All of that background is very much on the side, uh, you know, like, I'm not going to say, well, the dark side, right? Like <laughs> the, the, the guys behind the doors who are figuring out the, the financial things, driving the rates, figuring out what the rate should be. Well, so that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's why I'm excited to have you on because I, I kind of want to demystify that role for, for some of my listeners because – Again, like I said, maybe you're seen as the bad guy sometimes, but <laughs> but by the end of this show, you won't be. I promise. Uh, we'll right. try not to be. <laughs> so, Steve, how about you? Can you give us your? Well, I I guess you we know some of your background because it was alongside Jeff for a part of it. But explain how you got into the industry. Yep, and as a sidebar, the the person that was speaking um, that was the one that had the lesser fantasy football team and the. <laughs> The stats speak for themselves, so I'll show you all my championships later. Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> big We're already team. starting with the banter. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like uh, Jeff. So I've, I actually started in the hotel industry um, at the Uniondale Marriott in Long Island, New York. So it's, I was probably 16, 17 years old, like Jeff. And so been in the industry for over 25 years, just trying to make some extra money back then. 
uh, working in the restaurants. I worked the front desk for a while, worked night audit. And uh, when I was trying to decide what I was going to do in college, thought, hey, why not try this? And really didn't have a clear direction and went into hospitality uh, management in, in New York while I was living there. Uh, after graduating from college, I got my first managerial job in catering sales. I moved up to uh, the Poconos, uh, the honeymoon capital of the United States. Um, so they Is say, it? I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. what they say. Yeah. They do have a lot of uh, <laughs> hot, heart shaped hot tubs and mirrored ceilings. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting place. Oh. Uh, but uh, starting catering sales. So that was my first managerial job. And then from, from there, I moved into Hershey doing the same thing and uh, then moved into the DC market into group sales. So I was evaluating, hey, where's a good place to live? Um, I had somebody, uh, my wife now, but fiance at the time that is a teacher and she needed stability and working in the same market. Me bouncing all over the place, not great for raising a family. And we saw the DC market as a place that there was a lot of hotels and place for me to potentially move around and, and keep moving up and uh, moving up within the industry. And so moved into the DC market, uh, into group sales and, and found that, hey, you get your nights and your weekends pretty much within group sales rather than catering sales or, or in operations. Eventually moved my way to Wardman Park Marriott and was a uh, senior sales manager there and selling a, a convention hotel, thousand room groups uh, on peak. So it was really uh, interesting and learned a lot about the, uh, the industry working at, at Wardman Park. And actually I, I started at Sheridan Washington there and that converted over to Marriott. Uh, and I've been with Marriott ever since that uh, conversion. And so it's over 22 years uh, with, with Marriott uh, and they've been you know, great to work with. One of the best things that they do is promote growth and encourage you to move around. And so that's really, I, if you ever told me that I'd be with the same hotel uh, company for, for 22 plus years, I would have told you were crazy back then because I was probably with five or six before I, I joined Marriott. And while at Wardman Park, I was taking a, a, a training class and there was uh, someone within revenue management that brought in, kind of demystify what revenue management's about and what they do. And this was kind of the beginning of revenue management. It wasn't with a inventory managers, function space inventory group strategy folks. It was revenue managers and they did everything for the hotels that they represented back in those days. But I remember getting the training class and way back when they would, they would sit you down and they used to run this little game where they'd say, okay, you're the owner of a 10 person hotel. And everyone would get a sheet of paper and they would say, here's your 10 rooms. Here's a week's worth of inventory. Here's the demand that's going to be coming. Do you want to take this room, three rooms for two nights, Tuesday out Thursday, and it's going to be a $240 rate. And the next reservation would come along and it's six nights arriving on a Sunday and it's going to be at 179 And it's more optimal, of course, to take that, that seven-nighter, but a lot of folks would have their Tuesday, Thursday pattern blocked off and they weren't able to take those rooms staying through. At the end of the day, you would you could take some of these reservations, you couldn't take them all, and whoever optimized the most revenue would win the game. Anyway, I found this fascinating and I, I did pretty well at it and I really started pursuing revenue management. And at the time, there was not many salespeople that made that leap from sales into revenue management. And I was able to, to do it, and that's where I met Jeff and sat in a, a nice little cubicle at JW Marriott, and we did revenue management together, working at a JW Marriott, but represented different hotels. Steve, is that did you apply for the job in revenue management, or did you win the job because you won that game? <laughs> I have that trophy, too, by the way. No, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I remember just talking to somebody after that. I said, hey, this is pretty fascinating, this, this revenue management stuff. Like, I really enjoy the critique and analyzing. Uh, they also do a personality test. I'm sure all of us have taken those at one point in our careers. And I really fall into the introvert area versus the extrovert more so. And I really enjoy just sitting down, analyzing, critiquing, and um, working with the stakeholders in the hotels. And I wind up staying in revenue management for five years worked my way up into leadership within revenue management uh, before eventually moving back into uh, sales. And I worked for the, the regional sales office is what they call it in Marriott, representing a group of hotels within a certain parameter. So did that for a while, moved that up to corporate in Bethesda with Marriott for about five years, 
moved back to the sales office because uh, I missed it. There's a little bit of analytical critiquing going on, plus you got the integration with customers. So I felt like that was a, a really good fit within leadership um, at that office. And um, for the last almost four years now, I've been at Crystal Gateway Marriott as the director of sales and marketing. So it's it's been a been a great ride. I'll say, I mean, listening to both of your stories and looking at your backgrounds is just this progression, so many different opportunities, and you hit it on the head, you know, when you're talking about Marriott promoting growth. I mean, really, that is why I love the industry so much is because, I mean, you can fit every kind of personality into the hotel, right? I mean, whether or not you, you're in front of customers or you're behind the scenes or you're in corporate or you're in the kitchen, whatever it is, you know, whatever your pleasure, you can do it, right? So that's why uh, it's so cool. And also, I have to just make a comment. Do, do they teach all revenue managers that game? Because I also <laughs> have played that game. <laughs> but I, I had the chance to work for an incredible revenue manager. Her name was Rebecca Morlock. If you're listening, Rebecca, you are the best. <laughs> but um, yeah, she was a, a revenue manager at the Sheridan Chicago. And, and I remember playing that game as well. And I don't think I did so well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... Um, it is an interesting field or it's an interesting aspect of the hotel. And so can you guys, whichever one of you wants to speak to it first, but explain from your perspective, why is revenue management so important to a hotel? The same reason that the hotel business is important to humanity in a lot of ways. I mean, unfortunately, it's taking a global pandemic for non-hospitality people to realize how important hospitality is. Uh, you know, in the last five years, there's a million statistics out there right now uh, you know, showing how important this is. In the last five years, one in four new jobs came in hospitality, 10% you know, of global GDP. Uh, th these aren't just massive figures. They're exactly the jobs that lift people from poverty. And whether we're talking about waitstaff, bellmen, and housekeepers, the person checking you in, these are the jobs that offer opportunity to the people most in need. Uh, lower education, immigrants seeking a better life for themselves and their families and people of every description and affiliation. And it, before the world turned its back on travel this year, every hardworking person with a smile and a genuine desire to help others had a career in hospitality. And I think it's, it's probably a more altruistic answer and you're looking for about revenue management, but if the machine stops making money, the whole thing crumbles. And we're seeing that more than ever today. And revenue management takes a lot of shots for our aloof nerdiness, but the discipline is what keeps the whole train on its tracks. For years when people would ask, what do you do? Uh, say that, and like Steve, I'm a little bit more of an introvert. So I try to end a lot of conversations quickly. I'd say something like, you know, it's my job to make sure you pay enough when you stay at a hotel. But really what we're doing is we're, we're trying to make enough money to keep it growing. The kind of growth that Steve and I both benefited from at Marriott uh, only came because every hotel was doing well. They added more hotels and that added more jobs and it added more opportunity. I guess if we're thinking more specific to the, the discipline, not just its role in the whole, uh, if we go back to when Steve and I started in the late 90s or early 2000s, the hotel industry kind of unleashed all the economic advantages that came through specialization when the functions of selling and marketing and pricing were separated. Uh, by dedicating the science of pricing and analysis and game theory to experts in those field, uh, it freed up other commercial functions to be experts in their areas. So you don't usually want the PhD in applied mathematics shaking hands and working a crowd of clients any more than you want the charismatic sales leader writing pricing algorithms. So our commercial success really required a blend, a blend of the art and science, and we finally put the artists in charge of art and the scientists in, in charge of science. Uh, yeah, Steve's a rare breed who can cross genres seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why I'd, I'd love to hear Steve's take on this as well, um, especially because you were talking about you know being more of that introverted person and then moving over to sales, which requires some <laughs> you know, being an extrovert. So... Um, so what is your take? Why is revenue management important? I think before revenue management, there wasn't much of a science behind uh, maximizing revenue. <laughs> um, so it's really like when you have the demand, just optimizing, you know, you got your group mix, you got your transient. Um, and I'm always educating 
uh, sales folks, because in the beginning, when you first become a sales manager, you're just thinking, I just need to sell, sell, sell. And you don't really understand why you shouldn't take certain pieces of business and understanding uh, the pattern, the rate, the rooms to space, what's the proper catering contribution. You know, when I first started in revenue management, it was about, it was more, more on the transient side. And, and now we've integrated a lot more into group, which has been extremely helpful for the hotels. But in back in those days, it's like the revenue management game where, okay, how far am I going to take this hotel over to make sure that I maximize uh, sellout efficiency on, on these nights? That we're, we are going to get up to 99%, 100%, hopefully, or get very close to it. And, and so that, I yeah, I can take those Sunday night and Monday night arrivals um, and oversell Tuesday, Wednesday, knowing they're going to drop off 30 in any given night. Uh, and so when, when the demand, especially in markets that have high demand, revenue management is the, the, the folks really maximizing the most profit for the hotel and, and bringing you know, a lot of money that was left. You know, quite frankly, back in the day, there was a lot of money left on the table because we had the the wrong mix in the hotel. We didn't have the correct pricing uh, compared to our market. And, and yeah, we were selling out too early on certain nights that we, we shouldn't have, or we, you know, we took that wrong group. So yeah, I mean, revenue management. And I, I always, you know, just to keep, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, just to keep that relationship. It, it's not the man behind the curtain that's telling you can't do something. It's really educating salespeople about why they are so vital to the hotel and why, and how much money they bring uh, to the bottom line uh, for each one of those, for the hotels from an ADR and just overall um, occupancy perspective. You know, Steve, it's funny. When uh, I was promoted into the job of revenue manager at the GW in Washington, D.C., the DONs that day uh, introduced me to his sales team as the new, newest member of the sales prevention department. <laughs> yeah. well, that's going to be mean, helpful. It, yeah, right. It really set me up for success. The guy hated me. And he hated me before I even started working because he knew I was going to make his job so much harder. And I mean, this is back in the day like, when seasoned salespeople had a drawer assigned contracts that they hadn't turned definite in the sales system. And they'd wait to the end of the quarter. And if they hadn't hit their numbers, they'd pull out a couple contracts, right? And, <laughs> and so I, I remember we are. The hotel wasn't looking good. It already done a forecast, and uh, all of a sudden he turns this Tuesday Wednesday pattern. You know, big group sells out the whole hotel for Tuesday Wednesday in peak season, and I redo a forecast and resubmit the forecast, and it's I had to take a hundred thousand dollars out of the forecast because of all the displaced revenue, and his head about exploded. <laughs> and, I, and he gave all the arguments for the F and B spend and the long term client value, right? but the point was simple that the booking cost the hotel money. I mean, you're talking like 0203 when these types of analysis are really starting to revolutionize the way group sales and revenue work together. But it was it was painful in those early days. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, you're totally hitting it on the head and it's really going to kind of lead into my next question. But, you know, so in in my experience at the Sheridan Chicago, which is really my heaviest kind of revenue management exposure experience, um, I would sit there in the meetings, rev, rev meetings. And our GM would say, and he was actually my first guest on the show, um, <laughs> but Rick, we know he, he would say, okay, I, I need to have, I need to have the two sides. You know, I need to have director of sales and marketing, bring me your perspective, the customer perspective, and you need to be fighting with the revenue manager because I need director of <laughs> revenue to be saying from your point of view, why we should not take this business. Like I mean, he wanted to have that healthy discussion, if not an argument at times, <laughs> just because yeah. you, it is, it's a very fine line. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the, the long term, the relationship with the client, you know, trying to give them a, a favorable rate to win them to the hotel. But then on the other hand, you might be displacing revenue. So for the clients who might be listening, and, and even if there's some sales managers who are maybe new to the game, how might it be misunderstood what it is that you are trying to do for the hotels? I think when revenue management particularly started getting more involved in group, because uh, the, the discipline kind of evolved out of reservations, right? Uh, each hotel at the time would have its own reservations department and you would have somebody, usually a reservation manager or director of reservations who was saying, you know, take the three-nighter, not the two-nighter, take the five-nighter, not the one-nighter. And when it evolved out of management of maximizing transient and went into the group world, uh, I think that's where 
things really started to separate in terms of um, the perception from outside looking into a hotel from a client perspective. So, and, I th- and part of it, and this isn't to throw salespeople under the bus, but there was that used car salesman thing. Let me go check with revenue management, right? That didn't do anybody any favors. Uh, so revenue management, I think, became an early scapegoat. Uh, and to some degree, revenue management was at fault for reveling in it. You know, there was a little comeuppance. Uh, it was around the time Bill Gates was known for saying, be nice to nerds, you'll work for one someday. <laughs> and I don't think that served anyone well in the beginning. The first, Steve may remember this. The first revenue management office I was a leader of uh, had a reputation for sharing their Mensa scores. I mean, we had to make changes there. Oh <laughs> one, one of my all-time favorite GMs, too. He was also worried, like you said, Jen, that if sales and the revenue leader were getting along too well, he knew his hotel was leaving money on the table. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, that's perfectly illustrating the point that I was making before. Steve, do you have anything to add? The the one thing, like when salespeople, when revenue management was introduced initially, there was always that, it, it's almost like the sale, the salespeople saw it as a roadblock because they used to deal directly with their customer and it was just sales to the customer. And now you had somebody in between that was saying, hey, this is the business you can and can't take or, or take it in this fashion. You can't take it that way as you're proposing right now. Um, and so it took a while to kind of break down those walls. And, and then also, yeah, I mean, to, I think it was Jeff's point that just said, you know, the man behind the curtain and, and, and getting them away from the, the verbiage of saying, let me check with uh, somebody, you know, whoever that is, you know, that I need to check with revenue management. That's the worst thing you can say. And so I, I think over time, this has gotten a lot better. Like I remember back in those days to now it, it's, you know, cause there's, there's some type of business evaluation that goes on. And, and it used to be that, you'd have to call and talk to somebody or you'd email somebody and now it's more system-based. So there's a lot of things within the system that tells you, hey, here's your, and flexibility within the system to, to show folks, hey, there's, here's your, your rate that we're recommending and then here's a rate uh, that you could drop down to. And then on the flip side of that, I think the sales managers have become a lot more educated about what revenue management does and why they're so important to the hotel and giving them more empowerment to giving the sales and you know trust from the revenue management to give sales managers empowerment that they're going to make the right decision and they're not always going to drop down to the bottom rate that that you put out there and i was one of those guys when i was in revenue management was hey i just want to put out recommended because i'm a little concerned if i tell them what my bottom rate is that they're always going to come in at that lower rate and what we found over time was, hey, you know what? That's really not the case. They are trying to get as high rate as possible or the best value business for the hotel. And and now there are systems in place that show you, hey, there are some outliers where there are folks that are going down to that bottom rate all the time. And you can see that within a report and address it individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really it, it's about less putting everything in the system and having more empowerment, education, less BEs. I mean, back... I remember, I would say in the last five years, business evaluations, especially in the higher parameters, 100 peak or more, were 50% or more. And in today's world, we've lowered that to 10%, if not lower. So, and then the, and, and the sales managers from their side, they got to do more qualifications so that, hey, you know up front, hey, this person wants this rate, but they, they, and they can't go lower, but they are flexible to this month or that month, or they could do this pattern uh, to make it more advantageous for the hotel and revenue management can find more spaces where it's going to make sense or the sales manager can bounce it around and see where they're going to get the better rate that they're looking for. Steve, it's funny. You keep saying the the man behind the curtain thing. 15 15 years ago, uh, when I was in the group strategy role at the hotel you're at right now, uh, the DOSM, remember Denise Durgan, she held a big customer event for meeting planners. And on the agenda, she put how revenue management applies its craft or something like that. And we literally, we pipe and draped the room so that it looked like a Wizard of Oz set. And I was behind the <laughs> curtain running a PowerPoint with forecasts and group profitability and rooms to space ratio and like all this geeky stuff. And then it kind of, she pulled back the curtain and it unveiled like they were waiting for this evil revenue guy turning cranks and using a filtered mic. And uh, the all-knowing wizard was all of a sudden just like, oh, 
<laughs> it's, like, it's just that guy. And, it's just a guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's just that dude. And it, like, oh, he's he, he's probably scary good at fantasy football, but that's probably all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what? The more you do these these outings and this, yeah, we do out to happy hour or we're going bowling, anything that we're pulling everybody together, it became, and our conference is today, it's sales and revenue management right. that we're integrating all the groups together. And then as you meet them and meet them on, uh, on a personal level, then it's, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. And you know, I mean, if from that point, like if you go 10 years after that wizard of Oz kind of story to where I started at Hilton, uh, the RMCC, the revenue management for hires, about 400 team members and, two and a half thousand hotels in that revenue service. And when I arrived, I don't take any credit for this. They had a culture focus around the book called Trusted Advisor. And I get that was less to do with revenue and sales. It was more revenue with uh, owners, revenue management, and how you interact with general managers from a remote service. And the entire thing was focusing on how you could not be an effective advisor until you had their trust. And I mean, if you'd taken that 15 years prior to when Steve and I were, you know, just learning how to tell salespeople what it's like to really make money. I, the difference is night and day. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are saying these things now, because I, I guess I'm thinking about my own hotel experience and it's been eight or nine years since I've actually been in a hotel. And so I think that I left before a lot of revenue management became automated for the sales managers. So like what you're describing, Steve, you know, the systems in place, I think I left like really right before all of that kind of happened. So I didn't get a chance to work under those parameters where there was more empowerment given to the sales managers. Um, but that's awesome to hear that, you know, there is more of a partnership now <laughs> and that mm -hmm. there is more of a trust and, and back and forth. I think it's good. I hope that people listening also hear that it's <laughs> it's not meant to be something like a roadblock to business or anything like that it, and I, I love the fact that you know you're giving credit to the salespeople too and they're not just trying to make a business in the door at any cost they're trying to do what's best for the hotel as well if you have a sales team that's doing that then that's really coming from leadership leadership you're you know as director of sales and marketing and then having exposure to that revenue leadership as well yeah. And, and you know what? The bottom line is the, the sales managers, they, they need to make their goals. So it's, it's harder now than it was 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago uh, for sales managers to make their goals because they have to do it and book good business. Yeah. And, and, you know, and some, I, I always ask people, I go, would you take this? You know, like, is, do you think this is a good piece of business? And they're just, and sometimes the answer back in the day was, well, I just, I need to make my goal. You know, but and that's obviously the wrong answer. And yeah. so it is it is challenging when somebody's like the brink, they need to make X percent or they could face discipline. But, hey, we're not just going to take something to the detriment of the hotel. And you just I said, no matter what the circumstances are, we're always going to take business that makes sense. So you have to live in that environment and work in that environment. And it, it is harder to make your goals today than it was 10 years ago. But that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Steve, I think it goes the revenue to sales direction too now. I mean, the evolution of the partnership over the years uh, it has become a total story. And you see the commercial disciplines, you know, a term you hardly heard 10, 20 years ago, really intertwined again. Uh, it's a, you know, turn of the century, they separated the disciplines. And by 2020, uh, everybody's so entwined with each other's goals. Revenue can't make their goals if salespeople aren't closing the business. And uh, so the, the incentive to work there uh, has has evolved significantly. You've got the, the gregarious relationship building characteristics that make great salespeople are totally different from the personality traits of a data analyst who wants to twist and reposition figures and alternating variables until patterns emerge and turn it into a sequence with a strategy, right? Like salespeople don't want to do that for most, at least the good ones really rarely want to do that stuff. Uh, and so the partnership is uh, they get to ask the question, I don't want to draw the map. I don't want to study the map. Can you tell me how to get across the river or where I need to go? And uh, the partnership works. 
so now we're talking about how finally we get to 2020 and it seems like <laughs> things are in place for success for for your sales team and revenue management to work together and make the best scenario possible for a property or a hotel brand. Um, but then, of course, we know that there's been a little bit of a roadblock. <laughs> a little bit of a roadblock to business these days. So I guess um, I'd like to shift direction and kind of talk about today. <laughs> and moving forward, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see in, as, as far as, as revenue management and, and how to price and, and, and just how to analyze moving forward and then how to work with the sales teams when there might be just one piece of business out there that every hotel's fighting for. I mean, how do you move? How do you take everything that you were just talking about and now apply it to what we're going through right now? So, I, yeah, right now, yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a difficult environment, obviously, with the with the occupancy level. So, I think the the one number one challenge we have right now is creating demand and and then managing through that. So, demand has been picking up uh, mainly for out years. So you, you need somebody there. So you're in an environment right now, you don't have the budget to necessarily pay a big staff, but you you need you can't mortgage the future, especially of a convention hotel. And people are willing, they do see the light after, you know, in booking 23, 24, uh, but they're not willing to book uh, on the bigger scale, at least in 20 or 21. So the, the, that's our, our biggest challenge right now is making sure that we're not sacrificing uh, the future. The other big thing that's come up a lot is um, hybrid meetings so that people are these big thousand person meetings. They're saying, hey, we still want to come to your hotel, but we're going to be like 25, 30 people. Uh, <laughs> it's really our staff folks. And we're going to be doing a live broadcast from the hotel. So instead of having 400 peak rooms a night, we're going to have like 20. And but we're going to broadcast it live. And then but we see this as the future, though, that when they do get back up to that thousand peak room group, that they're going to continue to broadcast live because they're going to be bringing in all those external people that they couldn't online. And I'm sure there's a lower fee for the online folks, but there's still the audience. I was on a C event call a couple of weeks ago and there was 30,000 people online uh, for this live event. Wow. And it went off without a hitch. Uh, but, you know, I saw a survey out from meeting planners that they, not that they don't like the online environment, but they would rather be in person. 90% of them said, or more, said that we want to do live meetings again. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, but the future looks like it's going to be hybrid meetings, you know, that that piece is, is not going to go away. But yeah, I mean, to your question about where the offerings are so much lower in the hotel right now. So the, the question about like, how do you stand out amongst all your competitors? Everybody's offering low rates. And I just think it's just going that extra distance and, and qualifying it. Hey, what's important to you? Uh, do you need parking? Do you need, you need breakfast in your rate? Uh, we, we can't, you know, we're not offering food and beverage right now. Uh, we're offering grab and go options. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what are you going to do unique for them so that we can, we're going to go out to folks that are in the neighborhood that they can deliver breakfast in and make sure that it's there for them uh, each morning of their meeting or each morning on on, a, on when they're just grabbing and going if they want a full breakfast. So it's it's kind of just standing out amongst your peers to uh, because everybody is coming. The rate is not an issue for uh, for because the, they're going to get whatever rate they want pretty much as long as it's reasonable. I mean, no hotel is selling out in my market right now, so. That's not going to be the challenge. It's going to be just making sure that you took care of them. And I find that the people that we took care of in the past or we handled their, their cancel, everybody's canceling, you know, that in 2020 from March to where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And if you handled that in the right way and you allowed them to say, hey, you know what, if you book for next year or the year after, we're not going to go after you, obviously, for cancellation. But there, not everybody did that. And the meeting planners remember that and they want to take care of you, even for their, you know, even they're just booking smaller meetings. You come to me with a 20 peak room meeting right now. I mean, that's gold, even though, you know, in back in the day you would say, oh, I don't, you know, that's such a small thing. I, you know, I, I don't know if we should even take that, but today it's, it's, it's the best you're going to get. Yeah. yeah, for sure. The group and no, I mean, the group and events market, the way Steve described it, I, just to add, I guess, to that is I think we, we need to be advocates for, for the industry. And it's not a role that uh, any of us were really raised to be functioning as, as the mouthpiece of hospitality. Uh, 
But group and events has to return soon, uh, in the first half of the year probably. And the scary part is it really doesn't look like it's going to return with enough vigor to, to save a lot of jobs and hotels. And I mean, the pivot to virtual that Steve described is certainly real, but I don't know anyone who believes that Zooming is going to destroy meetings forever. Maybe it'll be a 25% down from 2019 for a very long time. But I think to me, the, the difference or the additional part that I'd add to what Steve said is that the 75% of 2019 that maybe we'll reach fairly soon, we got to get there really, really quickly. And and that requires everybody, whether you're in or out of the industry right now, uh, if you love it, you need to be an advocate for it. Because the main message in the media continues to be fear. And it's up to hospitality professionals to counterbalance that with facts to show that it's safe to meet and travel. You have to do it properly, but it's safe to do it. Uh, I ought to put out an infographic maybe two weeks ago that I loved. Uh, 1.2 billion passengers have traveled since 2020, or beginning, you know, throughout 2020. And there have been 44 cases of reported confirmed uh, coronavirus transmission on flight. So your odds of getting the coronavirus is 1 in 27 million. I was listening to, I think it was a, a, a webinar with an executive from JetBlue. He mentioned that, and then he also added, uh, so I looked it up, and by the way, you're way more likely to get struck by lightning, so please get on planes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, right? That's oh, fascinating. It's not a role that I think we're really used to doing, uh, but it's, it's something we have to take on as being advocates for what we care about. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you bring that up because it's true. Um, you know, I attended a virtual conference a couple weeks ago. And so admittedly, it's the kind of thing that I probably would not have attended if I didn't have the opportunity to go virtual. So I enjoyed it from that standpoint because I was able to do it. Um, but on the flip side, yeah, no. <laughs> it's. I mean, it, they did a great job. It was a great experience. But let's face it, I was sitting in front of my computer all day. I mean, the energy that you get from being in a meeting with other people, it's just right. you're not, there's no, no comparison. So, and I think we could all say that hands down. But I think the, the future of a hybrid meeting is potentially a really bright future mm -hmm. uh, where you have team meetings where I'm just going to get my five or six direct reports together. You know, that, that stuff might become zoomable and for a very long time. Uh, but if there's an ROI involved in travel, uh, whether it's trade shows and people need to buy and sell and transact and they want to touch and feel a product or they want to look a customer in the eye or uh, you can go back and you can say to your boss, uh, I can either call the customer or I think I, I stand a great chance of landing the business if I get on a plane and I go and I meet with them. Uh, th there's more of that that's going to drive our future and the return of group. It just needs to really do it quickly. Yep. And there's a lot of people just sitting on the sidelines waiting to book and they just need to have that confidence in the future that, okay, by this date, we're, we feel comfortable in booking. Right. So I feel like it's going to be, it's just going to be a one day when they feel like, okay, we, we have this under control today. There's a vaccine or whatever the case may be that all of a sudden the, the, it'll open up the floodgates for the future. So it's not going to help operations and maybe occupancy in the year that you're in right now. So we might be halfway through 2021 and then things start looking brighter. I think that's where the floodgates open and hopefully, you know, lead volume right now, group lead volume is at most hotels probably, you know, I, I can speak from the ones that I work with. It's 10 to 20% of what it used to be on a monthly basis. So that could that could go up to 80 to 90 percent what it normally is you know hopefully by the the middle of 21 or when things get under control and that's when we can get our sale at least our sales teams back which you know gives us hope for the future and bringing back the operation teams mm -hmm. well i was going to ask i mean that's that that brings up a good point you know it's kind of like what comes first the chicken or the egg i mean is it is it going to be when you see the demand that's when you bring back the sales teams or do you need the sales sure. teams to come back so you can create the demand or, or create that you know those those people to go out and say what what jeff is saying to broadcast and say it is safe you know come meet at our hotel come travel it's going to be okay i mean it's like you kind of need an army of people to do that but if you don't have them then you can't <laughs> so it's like we really yeah. right jeff you really do have to rely on just all of us <laughs> to get out there and, and advocate for it. Yeah. Yep. And there's a, when we do solicitations and talking about associations that they, that they need to hold a meeting for their future, it, they depend on the, having these meetings. So they are, they're telling us, Hey, talk to us in January. 
let's by then hopefully we know because we want to book this so as soon as they get that comfort level about the future and they know that it's 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 bright for 2022 or 23 they're ready to start booking for the bigger programs you know, that's the challenge right now and so we have we constantly monitor almost on a weekly basis we're monitoring the amount of leads that we get the the amount of bookings that we're processing what size they are and which parameter because as soon as we start seeing that jumping up and we did see this over the summer where the change we had in july to september and and the leads did go up not dramatically but they went up and approached ownership talked to marriott and just hey we we need to add somebody at least on a part-time basis so that and i think we'll continue doing that as you know leads go from x to x we'll just continue to add folks um as as they increase and and they're fully supportive of that because then they see they know sales is what's going to drive the future and bring back the the occupancy and the, and the operation staff definitely good well i'm very happy to hear that uh well i guess i was, I was taking a little bit different approach to thinking about the recovery timeline looking like four or five years before returning to 2019 rev par figures and thinking more to, to the revenue management discipline uh, rather than revenue and sales together. Just revenue specifically, like so many other important parts of the business, though, it, there's going to be virtually no investments, uh, you know, no systems, no process, no tool enhancements. Uh, and the companies, so I think what we're going to see is the companies that invested heavily in their own capabilities uh, during the boom years of 2010 to 2020, those hotel companies will capitalize on the competitive advantages that they've created for themselves, and they'll get an even longer period of competitive advantage out of that. Uh, so I mean, the opposite of that, of course, is the projects with great ROI that didn't make the cut uh, will, having not done those things, that'll hamper growth for the path of the next decade. So then I think the next five years are going to favor companies that invested in themselves, and uh, more specifically, the ones with the best pricing and yielding systems, the most efficient sales systems. I guess this is what reminded me of it, Steve, was you're talking about being a sales team of one right now. Uh, if you have a very efficient sales team, when that demand starts coming back in, uh, you're going to be better off than the hotel down the street still trying to do it with Excel sheets and duct tape and rubber bands. So this probably favors the big brands. Uh, first, just because they have the scale to invest in themselves. Uh, but I think for a number of reasons, the companies that focused on that in the past will come out uh, even better. And if that means that you know, the companies that focused on share buybacks rather than investing in their own capabilities, they may have made prudent decisions for their investors, but probably not for their hotels or their owners. Uh, in a highly franchised landscape, those owners and operators can see that difference. Uh, and they're probably going to begin favoring putting their investments in the hands of those that did the best job creating uh, efficiencies and and better process over the last 10 years. So uh, Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott, IHG, you know, they play with a big lead now. I would expect that lead to get bigger because of that. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Yeah. And I, I would just say that to add to that, I, I come from the vantage point of a convention hotel and the recovery and where the occupancy is right now for convention hotels, they have gotten hit the hardest by a long shot uh, with the, the COVID-19. There are other destinations, the resorts uh, down in Florida, on the coast, Myrtle Beach. A lot of them were running 80 to, and they would stop their occupancy at 80% because they were like, hey, let's just make sure this is okay from a social uh, distancing standpoint. And then they kept revving it up to to the point where that once they felt secure that they, they could take it up to 100%. Mm. Um, and that was through the summer season, so I'm sure that has slowed down as we move into the the colder weather. But the destinations, the resorts, they're going to fare pretty well, especially once people feel more comfortable about traveling and and this people feel like it's coming to an end. That I know for myself and a lot of people I talk to, it's like I've been holding back on taking that really nice vacation to to Europe or Hawaii, California. That hey, I'm as soon as I can, I'm going to do that. Because yeah. like, yes. <laughs> imagine this happens again and I get locked up. I want to take advantage. So there's a lot of people out there that are, are ready to go. Convention business, it's going to take longer to, to come back, unfortunately. See, I was in uh, Hawaii. Heather and I were in Hawaii in early March, and we literally took a flight back the day before they stopped flying back. If we had yeah. just waited or missed that one flight, we could have ridden this whole thing out on the big island. Oh, yeah, they would have locked you down. That Come would have been on. perfect. 
I got to remote. I got to work remote from Hawaii. Sorry. <laughs> well, so Jeff, uh, how can your business, Travel Insights, maybe kind of help with some of what we're talking about here? Well, you know, I think it, we we have the advantage of being able to see the marketplace uh, from a hundred thousand feet, and having that advantage today with 20 years of seeing it from a, you know, a total ground level, uh, I think gives us the unique ability to interpret what's going on uh, in a way that can actually make money. Uh, I've talked to a couple of different investors who they've looked at real estate deals and they're saying, here's this giant independent hotel and it's there's a fire sale, right? The owner, they're, they're done, they shutter the doors and they just need to get rid of it. Uh, what we're able to help do is figure out what is a realistic time frame on what they can expect for their investment. Uh, if they stay independent, there are you know, there are advantages to that. It's expensive to have a big brand on your hotel. Um, on the other hand, you get the advantage of a great loyalty program that'll boost your occupancy. And right now, it's an OC game. Uh, so uh, maybe Curio or Autograph or Tribute Collection, right? We, so we we kind of help owners and investors figure through the scenarios that are really going to give them the best chance for their their time frame. If they're looking at, uh, I want to flip this asset in two years, uh, it's a very different conversation than in five years. Right? So I, I think we have the advantage of understanding uh, the business from an extremely high level, uh, but also being able to get our, our fingers dirty and get into a forecast or a pro forma and talk about how the international mix to that destination is 40% and you can't count on that for two years, right? I mean, to that kind of degree. Okay. Well, thank you. That's excellent. And then Steve, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? Anything, anything more that you want to say either about your property or, or about the topic? I don't, yeah, no, not, not off the top of my head right now. Okay. It's, it's great to hear the, the creative ways that you're trying to do business and, and win business and, and help clients. I like to hear that the clients that you helped before are the first ones that are calling you back. Um, I think that really speaks to, um, you know, just the right way to have handled this whole situation over the last eight months. So good for you guys. I hope it continues. I hope it pays off. And I thank you both for being on the show today. This was a good conversation, and I hope it kind of gave a little bit of clarity for a lot of people listening about revenue management and, and how revenue works with sales and some of what the challenges are that lie ahead and how we can push through those and look ahead to that mid-2021 timeframe when the floodgates hopefully open back for all of us. Jen, to you, I want to thank you for getting us together because this oh. has been a ton of fun uh, and uh, having a great time with it. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you both so much. All right. All right. Thank you for having Thanks, Tim. Bye. Thank you again, Jeff and Steve. You each brought a tremendous amount of knowledge and insight to the show and took a topic that might scare some off as dry and made it interesting, fun, and approachable, which is exactly what I hope to accomplish by having these conversations. I also want to note that you can find Jeff Borman at travelinsights.com, and that's travel, I-N-N-S-I-G-H-T-S dot com, like hotel, like an inn. We already know he's very clever. Well, that is a wrap on episode nine, and I want to hear from you. Please send feedback, show ideas, comments, questions, and of course, interest in participating to me at roomblockpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you for joining me today, and please remember to subscribe to The Room Block so you can continue to join in the conversation. <laughs>